I uh, want to start by talking about an important learning that I had in my late 20s. And it was a learning about how I learn. And really, your late 20s is not a time when you want to first initially have this realization. This is after I've gone through primary school and secondary school, after I've done all my years of university, after I did half a master's, I actually stopped it all and had an epiphany. I realized that I do not learn through lecture and exams. That is difficult, you know, because we live in a very lecture and exam, you know, society. What I learned, as how I learn, is through getting my hands dirty. I'm a doer. I like to do something. If somebody says, I want to give you a theory on something, I'd rather do it. And if I can do it, I'll learn it faster. And even better, if I can do it alongside someone who is a master craftsman at something, I'll learn it even faster. But if you just set me in a lecture, rubbish. My mind wanders too fast. I'm too smart to keep up with a lecture. I just start thinking these huge thoughts and... I just, you know, it's just not right for me. You know, it's not them, it's me. That is why as we come to close up this series on Luke that we've been going through all summer, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Because it is Jesus not as just a lecture of theory. We've been seeing him put what he says about himself into action. We've been seeing miracles, action. It's been Jesus not just telling us who he is, But he's been showing us. Jesus doesn't just say, I have power over nature. He calms a storm. Jesus doesn't just say, I have power over spiritual realm. No, he casts out demons. He doesn't just say, I have power over death. No, he raises a girl from the dead. Every one of these miracles is showing in practice who Jesus really is. That's been the journey of Luke for us. Who is Jesus. We have we have been on a journey of him revealing himself to us. And if he has done this to us, Luke's readers, can you imagine what it would have been like for the disciples who are actually there as they see all these miracles ticking along? Tick, 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 tick. He did what? He's saying what? I'm seeing this. What is happening? Mind is being blown. They would have been thinking and talking after these miracles. Who is this? What is he doing? After all these miracles, as Jesus is revealing himself, in verse, uh, from last week, we looked at verse 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 20, and we see that Jesus gives Peter a final exam. We've seen all these miracles, and Jesus says, Peter, final exam, in front of all the disciples, you've seen all that I've done, you've heard all that people are saying about me, who do you say that I am? One question, it's not essay, it's not multiple choice. Who do you say that I am? And Peter aces the exam last week. He says, you are Messiah. And it was great. But this week is a bit different. Because like anybody who, you guys, who's here is learning to drive? A couple of you? You know that you've got to do the theory test, right? But what do you really fear? The practice. The practical, right? I know I did. So last week was the theory, but this week is the practical. Okay? The transfiguration is the practical outworking of what Peter said when he said, Jesus, you are Messiah. The transfiguration is all about 
Jesus physically showing us that he is God. That is the point of the transfiguration. He is revealing to his closest friends what they are already beginning to figure out. Jesus is the Son of God. And what we're going to look at tonight is how he reveals that he is God on that mountain in two important ways. The first is through his glory, and the second is through his supremacy. So we're looking at these big topics, glory and supremacy. Now, I hope keep your Bibles open, because we're going to look at them. But before we do, I want to confess something. I want to admit the difficulty in explaining these topics. It's a challenge to find words to describe that which is beyond words. Let me give you an example. I just spent three hours watching a cricket match. I don't know why everyone's laughing. I really enjoyed it. Um, But if somebody said to me, John, I've never seen a cricket ball. Will you explain to me? I could say, easy. It's spherical, kind of round. It's red, it's leather. It's hard, but it bounces. It's got a seam with some laces. Somebody could get a pretty good idea of what a cricket ball looks like, right? But if somebody said, John, I don't know what beauty is. Can you explain to me? My words would fail me in explaining beauty. It's a much weightier, larger topic that goes beyond just a physical realization. In the same way, it is important that if somebody does not understand what beauty is, they have to still want to go. We want to explain to them, you have to look at what it is. Because if you don't understand beauty, you'll be missing out on a huge portion of life. In the same way, it is important for us to understand the glory and supremacy of God. Because if we don't, we miss out on who God really is. And we have half a concept of him. In fact, we have incorrect thoughts of God. We have to think the big thoughts of God. A.W. Tozer says it this way, What comes into your minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your minds and my mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So we must stretch our minds. We must think right thoughts about God because thinking rightly about God connects our minds with our hearts and allows us to really live real Christian living. For me, I have begun a journey of wanting to know about these big concepts. And I have over and over again over the last month been praying one simple prayer. Holy Spirit, show me God. Holy Spirit, reveal God to me. And what I have begun to see is that I have a small view of God. My testimony is that I am beginning to see God for who He really is. And it is bringing about real repentance and real worship. And it is good. Augustine said, great quote, To fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek Him the greatest adventure. To find Him the greatest achievement. I 100% agree that there is no greater human achievement than to seek after and find out who God really is. Let Him blow us away with who He really is. That's what we're going to do tonight. So if you have your Bibles before you, Let's start thinking about the glory of God. Let's begin by seeing what glory is, by defining it, and then seeing how it works out in the transfiguration. A famous theologian defines um, glory this way. He uses Isaiah 6.3, which is a great 
Scripture. It basically says, the angels cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of His glory. What? They just said holy three times. Why didn't they say that the earth is full of His holiness? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the earth is full of your holiness would be the natural response, right? But what the theologian says, he says this, is that God's holiness is, God's glory is His holiness on display. God's holiness, His perfection, when it comes into the earth, when it goes public in the earth, is bright shining power. And we can comprehend it as God's glory. His holiness on display is God's glory. I know, I'm starting to blow your minds a little bit, right? Yeah, okay, let me explain it this way. When I was a kid, I had a poster on my wall of Machu Picchu. And Machu Picchu, I think we have a picture of it there. It's the city that's up in the middle of nowhere in Peru. And I had this picture, and I look at it every night before I went to bed. And I thought, this is the type of place I want to go to someday. And since then, I've looked at pictures, I've seen it in books, I've read about it, and I've always been mesmerized by Machu Picchu. Never thought I'd be able to go there. Two years ago, I took my youth group on a mission trip to Peru and had the opportunity to go visit Machu Picchu. And I remember the morning that I woke up, it was butterflies. This is like, this is a dream. It was like Philip learning to bowl today. It was a dream come true. This is the dream happening. And I was overcome. I was like so nervous. I just kept thinking, I'm going to get sick. The bus is going to break down. This is not happening. This is not going to actually happen. And the bus drives up in the mountains and you can't see any of it. And it stops and we pay and we walk through the arch. And you walk right out and you see it just like it is. It was a sunny day. And I saw it laid out before me, Machu Picchu. But this picture is a horrible representation of what it's really like. It is so much more beautiful, more stunning than that. All around it, it is gorgeous. And I stood there, and my mind could not comprehend the beauty of Machu Picchu. I was undone. I thought I could come back here and stand here and look at this day after day after day, and I still wouldn't be able to process what I'm seeing, because it's so wonderful. And this is creation. Imagine how much more difficult it will be for us to process through seeing the perfection of God on display. To see the holiness of God in humanity. How do we even begin to comprehend it? What we see is the beautiful light and radiance of glory. That's how we process it through. So let's keep this definition of glory in our minds of, of God's holiness on display as we go to that Mount of Transfiguration. If you've got your Bibles open, we start in verse 28. They're walking up the mountain, Jesus and his disciples. <coughs> it's hot. They're exhausted from the journey. They come to the top of the mountain. They sit down. And they begin to pray. Now, First of all, this prayer room we're doing is not on the top of the mountain, so it's much easier to come to, okay? He's making them walk up a mountain before they do it. It's a bit of a challenge. They are tired. And they begin this prayer meeting. Jesus in his inner core, Peter, James, and John, his best friends, his mates. And they begin praying, and they're praying, they're tired. They're praying, and they're praying. But as they pray, something happens. Jesus is transformed. 
a brilliant light shooting from all over him, like lightning emanating from within him, shooting out. It is his holiness on display. They see his glory. All they can see is bright light because he is so perfect. What they don't realize at that moment is that they are seeing with their eyes the physical manifestations of Peter's proclamation. You are Messiah. The truth is revealed. The truth that he is perfect without sin, holy, perfection, beauty of Jesus is on display on that mountaintop. The mind can only interpret as bright shafts of glory. This experience of bright glory of Jesus is of the utmost importance to the disciples because there are dark days ahead. Jesus is aware of the road that he will walk of pain and suffering. It will cause the disciples much distress and questioning. But they will remember back to that mountaintop. Later John writes in John uh, chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John recognized that Jesus is God living among them. But he knows that he is more than just another man, because he has seen glory, the glory of his perfect holiness. So the first way that we see Jesus as God is in the revelation of his glory. That's how we connect the living Jesus to God, the revelation of glory. If that was all that happened on that mountaintop, if nothing else happened, that would be a pretty rocking prayer meeting. Am I right? Jesus glowed. That was awesome. This is like Old Testament stuff. But we look next that Jesus continued to reveal himself. And let's look next at the supremacy of Jesus. In the same way that we looked first at the glory and then looked at the scripture, let's kind of come up with the definition of supremacy and then see how that goes into the transfiguration as well. All right? So the definition of supremacy is the highest rank of authority. Now, when we apply this to human structures, we get it. We understand that Obama is kind of of the highest rank in America, We understand the prime minister is of the highest rank in Britain. But when applied to Jesus, when applied to God, understanding of the highest rank is a bit tricky. Because there is nobody else to compare God to. His power and authority are completely beyond anything in this world. There's a vast chasm. Arthur Pink says it this way, speaking of the supremacy of Jesus. I think this is a great quote. He, sees, he says, before him, speaking of Jesus, before him, presidents and popes, kings and emperors are less than grasshoppers. The pope is less than a grasshopper compared to Jesus. Imagine the supremacy of God. Imagine it. One who is the king of all kings. One who is the creator. One who has no beginning and no end. One who has no equal. Nobody to compare him to as everything else is but a poor imitation compared to God. The prophet Isaiah gives us an amazing picture of God and his supremacy in 
Verse 6, 1 to 5 of Isaiah. I want to read it to you. Picture it in your minds as I read it to you. Like, really picture it. Don't just hear it. Picture it in your minds. And the king, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. Seated on a throne, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face. The other two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The King Jesus takes off his royal robe that fills the temple and puts on flesh. To come in humility in order to reveal the image of God to us. This is our model of supremacy. The humble servant king. So in Jesus we have a supreme ruler who is within his own category. We can only compare God with God as there is nobody that is his equal. The gulf of authority between our known created world and our creator is vast. And yet he allows himself to be close. Jesus the king who is full of love. So the supremacy of Jesus is the highest rank of authority. The authority that has no match or equal. As we go back to that mountaintop, as Jesus is shining in glory, that is revealing himself to God, let's now see how the supremacy also reveals Jesus as God. So let's think about it by looking at our scriptures. We see, very, we see that there are three very different events that happen in quick succession. Very quickly. The first we see in verses 30 and 31. That Moses and Elijah come to speak to Jesus. The second is that Peter in verses 32 and 33 gets things wrong. And the third in verses 34 to 36 is God coming and speaking in a cloud. Each one of these tells us about the supremacy of Jesus. Let's look at them one at a time. The first we start with is Moses and Elijah. Now these are two pillars of the Old Testament. It's kind of like when you see pictures of Brad Pitt and George Clooney hanging out. And you think, wow, those two, they're two big guys. And they hang out together? Amazing. Basically, um, Moses and Elijah are like the Brad and George of the Old Testament. You know? They're big names, they're the big guys, they're famous. Everybody knows who they are. Moses is a big name because he led the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He received the law and the Ten Commandments from God. Elijah is famous because he was a key prophet who stood up, stood up for God when nobody else did, when few else did. He conquered false prophets by calling down the fire of God. Get this, he didn't even die. He was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot. One of the only two, one of only two people in the Bible who has who'd ever died. These are big names. They've done a lot. 
Some would say that these men represent the law and the prophets in the Old Testament, which they do. However, I think there's something deeper here that more, makes more sense within this passage. They're both important for representing deliverance. Moses led the Israelites to deliver to deliverance from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. He delivered his people. We can remember Charleston Heston shouting, let my people go. Deliverance. And Elijah is prophesied in Malachi 3.6 that he will return before the great and terrible day of the Lord. The Jewish mind, when they read this and saw Elijah and Elisha, or sorry, Moses and Elijah, they would have known that they were representing past and future deliverance. This is significant because in verse 31, when they speak about Jesus, about his departure, this is more correctly translated as Exodus. These important big names are there to speak with Jesus about his death and resurrection. They're speaking of the superior plan of deliverance for the people of God. One that is greater than the Exodus that Moses led because it will bring freedom to all people who call on the name of Jesus. One that is greater than the exodus of Elijah, because on the great and terrible day of the Lord, people will call out on the name of Jesus and be saved based on the work of the cross. They are there as servants to Jesus. He is not equal among them. He has authority and power over them. Jesus is far greater than Moses and Elijah. Because he is not a man that is blessed by God. He is blessed because he is God. And these big names are talking about God's plan of salvation. Picture this, guys, honestly. You're on a mountain. Jesus is already really shiny. And then the big names of the Old Testament come. And they're talking about God's hidden plan of salvation that is being revealed. And in the midst of all this, Peter decides to kind of Throw his hat in the ring a little bit. Well, everyone else is here. Why not me? I'll throw in my perspective. And honestly, you've got to love Peter. I love him because he puts his foot in it over and over and over again. And you know who else puts his foot in it over and over and over again? This guy. So it's great to read Peter because you think, oh, I do the same thing. And he says in verse 33, Let's build some shelters. This is what he throws out. Let's build some shelters, guys. Maybe one for each of you. And I love how the Bible, if you don't think the Bible is funny, it is so blunt, he did not know what he was saying. <laughs> this did not did not get this one right. And he really doesn't. He really doesn't understand what he is saying. He's got a good heart, but he gets it wrong. He gets it wrong in two ways. The first is that he wants to build three equal shelters. This represents Peter's thinking that Jesus is one of those great prophets among all the other great prophets. He doesn't understand that his supremacy is far greater than all of the Old Testament prophets combined. He isn't an honored figure who has served God faithfully. He is God. That's the first way. The second way is that he just wants to stay there. Peter is keen to keep up this amazing experience. Let's build some shelters. Maybe... We could stay up here for a while longer, call this a church plant. You know, let's just hang out here. I like it. But this mountaintop experience is not the end goal for Jesus. 
This is part of the revelation of Jesus. The full revelation of power and supremacy of Jesus is still to come on a cross with an empty tomb. Peter shows us how the logic of man is so different compared to the plans of God. We love to think that we get it and we come up with our plans. This is a great idea. I got it. But our logic and reasoning is less than a grasshopper's compared to our supreme King Jesus. All right, let's look at the last thing. The last thing that happens up there. As Peter is speaking, a cloud comes and covers them. They experience the fear of the Lord. Then God speaks, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to Him. If there was any question before now, there is no mistaking it for Peter, James, and John, that Jesus is greater than all the kings and prophets of the Old Testament. His supremacy is backed up by God naming him as son and telling his inner core to pay attention. Peter, James, and John were around Jesus all the time. They would have experienced amazing things, but also very ordinary things. Things like travel and meals and friendship. It would be easy to look at Jesus and just see his human side. To see him that he was as just a great guy who is very anointed and gifted. But that voice shatters all illusions. They need to be listening to Jesus and see the totality of who he is. The big picture of Jesus. He did not begin to exist at that birth in the manger. He had no beginning and no end. He was before all things. Everything was created in him and through him. The supreme authority of Jesus is bigger than this world. It cannot be earned or challenged. He is the king of kings in flesh, and there is no one greater. It is more than God saying, Jesus is a great guy. It's bigger. It's sonship. He is from the family of God, and there's nothing greater. Peter, James, and John, they did listen. And eventually they grasped the glory and supremacy of Jesus. Peter reflects back on this time in the mountain. He writes in Second Peter verses 1, 16, 18. He says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We all, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. This verse in Second Peter speaks of the power of Jesus, the majestic, the majesty, honor, glory, and supremacy. Through Peter, though Peter may have gotten it wrong on that mountain, his reflections on this passage in this passage, our beautiful worship about the glory and supremacy of Jesus. I want to end with that quote from Augustine again. To fall in love with God is the greatest romance, to seek Him the greatest adventure, and to find us, to find Him the greatest human achievement. I want to invite us to fall in love with God again. Big 
God. To seek Him and find Him and see the beauty of Jesus as God. He is more than a doer of good works. He's more than the than the simplistic boxes that we put him into so we can manage who he is. That is not who Jesus is. I can't tell you how many times as a youth worker I've looked at people and they've said to me, I'm not going to be a follower of Jesus anymore because I just have too many questions. Perhaps. But I wonder who would have rejected Jesus on the mountain that day. His face radiant and glowing with the power of God. He was changed not by putting on a mask or morphing his fact. No, the real Jesus was seen. The majestic, the holy, the perfect, the just, the one who is the very definition of love shone through. This vision of Jesus is not just one that we fall into. No, we have to climb that mountain as well. We must do the work of asking, God, show me who you are. I beg you for the knowledge of you. I give you my heart, my time, my being. I am yours. You deserve everything that I have. It is the adventure of my life to find out who you are. Along with those who have gone before me, those who walk alongside me, and those who come after me. I do not want to settle for a half-correct, unfinished, partial view of you. God, grow me, show me, walk me, and reveal to me the knowledge of you. This is our glorious adventure. This is the thing, if you're wondering what to do with your life, pursue God with everything that is in within you. He is worth it. He will not disappoint. I promise you, if we do not look at God and see how big He is, you will be disappointed with what you create. He is God. Jesus is 